Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, you know us better than we know ourselves. As the scriptures are read, we listen for your voice. By your spirit, lead us out of our fears and into the knowledge of your love. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Our scripture today comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Here are these words. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When Jesus taught about heaven, or when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, which are really the same thing, Jesus would often use parables, which makes sense, because heaven, the kingdom of God, these are hard things to grasp, right? So today, we'll make it very definitive, we'll be done, we will all have a pronounced view of heaven, and it'll be finished, it'll be a done deal. We'll never wrestle with it again. Uh, but maybe we use a parable to explain the kingdom of God, or heaven does. The kingdom of God is like hill country, uh, but better. Um, or uh, maybe, some of you hate hill country apparently, uh, or maybe the kingdom of God is like Kyle Field, rising up on the horizon as you come into College Station. <laughs> Few people get that. Some of you are like, it's the opposite of that, actually, right? Um, maybe it's World Tide, I don't know what it might be. Uh, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is often portrayed in the Gospels through parables. Uh, and Jesus would speak in parables. He'd say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And it grows into the tallest of trees, and all the birds find refuge in its branches. And people go, that doesn't really clarify it for me, Jesus, but thank you for the parable. So he would you know, often use parables over and over and over again to explain and teach what the kingdom of God is like. And so I want to have a discussion today, really. I want to uh, kind of poll the congregation. This will be kind of fun. Um, and let's play a game. It's going to involve some participation. I don't want to spend too much time here. Um, but in five words or less, so count them, uh, five words or less, how might you describe heaven? In five words or less, very challenging. Maybe we'll pull the choir too. It's both, I'm just curious. How might you describe heaven? Paradise. Paradise. Absolutely wonderful. Beautiful colors. Hanging out with God. What else? Better than here. That's great. Thank you for the participation. Very easy. Good job. Round of applause. Good job. <laughs> we did it. Great. Uh, and I often thought of that as well, right? When I was kind of as a child, I always, I don't know if it was just what we get, but I thought that heaven had, you know, gold roads. And they always talk about the pearly gates. It's a lot of pearls. It's a big gate, right? You think about kind of St. Peter there at like some sort of like kiosk checking a book to make sure you're like in the book, right? These are sort of the images of heaven that I had. I always thought of a lot of clouds. I don't know why, but a lot of clouds. And usually there were some sort of cute children playing harps or uh, we'd, I'd see like a bunch of people with wings kind of flying around. This is sort of the image of heaven that I think a lot of young children have. 
the image that I had for a very long time when I thought about heaven. I think about the guitar god, Eric Clapton, and his song, Tears in Heaven, right? Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Think about Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, Guns N' Roses, Knocking on Heaven's Doors, The Clash, Up in Heaven, Belinda Carlisle, Heaven is a Place on Earth. I think about how heaven is portrayed in movies, which is just hilarious. Uh, there is, and I also think about how hell is portrayed in movies as well. I don't know the name of the movie, but it's a Woody Allen film. And he's like riding this escalator. Have, uh, has anyone seen this movie other than me? Okay. He's riding this, this elevator down. It's like, you know, floor six, lawyers, floor seven, like uh, crooked salesmen, right? And this is what talking about. This is Woody Allen's depiction of hell. It's very, it's sort of fascinating. It's tongue in cheek. Right? And it's like, floor seven, all full. You know, it's like, you keep going. It's very interesting. Uh, I think about uh, Hollywood's portrayal of heaven as some sort of paradise, as you sort of just get what you want. All the, the beer and the pizza has no calories, right? Uh, that's sort of how it's portrayed in popular media. Um, it's like, and I wonder if our concept of heaven and hell is based more on... Hollywood and songs rather than what scripture says about heaven and hell. Um, I wonder, I wonder. Our passage talks about if you've been raised with Christ. Immediately the first thing that we notice about this passage is that we have been raised with Christ by virtue of our baptism. We are to identify with the kingdom of God. That is, our, our primary citizenship is with God's kingdom, right? I am a Christian first, an American second, and then maybe a, a, a person of planet Earth third, however you want to kind of delineate citizenship. I am to identify with God's kingdom. I am raised with Christ. I am a Christian. I am one of God's kingdom. And so Paul says, if you are raised with Christ, if you are baptized in Christ, you are to think as a citizen of heaven. Your mind is to be set on the kingdom of God, not the things of this world. That is to be our, our primary focus, that we are to obsess over the kingdom of God. It is who we are. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And so Paul kind of sets this up in the ancient worldview. He says, uh, think of the things above. And it's helpful to remember, right, that Paul had a different understanding of the world than we do. Right? Paul was not born in the late 60s when Apollo was sending people to the moon. Right? That was not part of Paul's story. It's part of ours. So the ancients understood the, the world in a sense of firmament. Right? You would have the cosmos above, the heavens above, beyond that were the waters, right? When it rains, water comes down, waters pour over the side and they fill up the ocean. This is the firmament, the earth, heaven, the cosmos, the waters are all above. And then under that is the, the abode of the dead. The Hebrew people called it Sheol, right? Abraham is in the abode of the dead. Moses is in the abode, the home of the dead. Right, so they were sort of like, like cake. There were like these layers to it. And that's how Paul understands the world. He says, so think of things above. 
right? We know now that heaven not, is not necessarily above, that heaven is entirely other. So I think what Paul's talking about is think of things other than your current preoccupation. Think of the kingdom of God and meditate and obsess about these things. These things are to mark our life. We are to be people of God's kingdom, not people stuck here on this rock, a few planets away from the sun. That's not really our place in the universe. I think it's fascinating. But what do we know about heaven? And if we look at scripture, there's a couple passages that tell us a little bit about heaven. And ultimately, it is beyond our knowledge. And we'll get there in a second. But Revelation tells us that there's a new heaven and a new earth. And that the, the distinction in the firmament, the distinction in our understanding of heaven and earth, sort of collide. Because God is at the center of this, and God fills all of created order with God's self. God no longer sort of sits in heaven over there, but God is in the middle of everything, and God fills all. And so the distinction between heaven and hell, as maybe the ancients understood it, or maybe even as we understand it today, is broken apart. And they come together. And the new heaven and the new earth are sort of one because God is one and God is in all. That's in Revelation 21. The second thing that we can understand about heaven is that my idea of like the angels with wings and sort of the disembodied spirits floating around is completely off base, right? When Jesus rises from the grave and Mary runs to him, Jesus says, does anyone know exactly what he says? He says, do not cling to me. Do not cling to me. Do you know it's very difficult to cling to a ghost, right? You can't do it, right? <laughs> because ghosts don't have bodies. Jesus has a physical body when he is resurrected from the grave. He says, Mary, don't cling to me. I have not ascended to the Father. And then later, when the 500 plus people see Jesus ascend, it's not like his little spirit trails off, right? Jesus ascended. He is enfleshed in heaven. It is a, a physical place. There is a, a physicality to the kingdom of God. It is attested to in the Gospels. It's attested to in Jesus' resurrection. And it's also affirmed in the Incarnation. In the beginning of John, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The logos is the Greek word for word. It's this idea of divine, other, not human, right? The divine became sarks put on flesh. The story of Christianity is not about us somehow escaping our physical body, but it's about our physical body being reborn, being redeemed, being made whole. It's attested to in the incarnation, and it's attested to in the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord. It is a physical experience, not some sort of spiritual disembodied experience. There will be painting 
in heaven. There will be sculpting and dancing and laughing and eating and partying and baking in heaven. Heaven will be a physical place. God made the physical. Why is it bad? God is in the business of redeeming and restoring the physicalness of all created order. When I think about that, all of a sudden heaven shifts for me, right? It's not about like a congregation of ghosts worshiping some sort of central deity. It's an embodied experience. It has smells and tastes and experiences that are rooted in who we are as people. This is the story of Christianity is that it's God come down and getting dirty with us in our humanity and then God redeeming and restoring that humanity and saying it is a good thing. I created it. It is a very good thing. It is a physical thing. What we know about heaven is that there will be a bodily resurrection. We know that God will fill all of creation with God's self. And we know that it is now and it is not yet. I hope that's a, a helpful phrase. I'm not exactly sure which theologian uh, thought of it first. You'll encounter it in N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, that heaven is now and it is not yet. We have the opportunity to model this kingdom of God here and now, but in doing so, we also recognize the work that needs to be done. Even Christ was ushering in God's kingdom. Even Christ, who was ushering in God's kingdom, encountered things that were contrary to God's kingdom. Things that stood in opposition to God's kingdom, like death, suffering, enslavement, and more. I think we have a, a deep sense that things are better in God's kingdom, and we have a deep sense of noticing when God's kingdom is here, now. For example, we might see the oppressed liberated. I think that is God's kingdom here and now. We might see sight given to the blind. That is God's kingdom here and now. We see cancer cured. That is God's kingdom here and now. We see people able to walk again. That is God's kingdom here and now in this place. Yet we also have the promise that more is to come. That one day all of humanity will live in peaceful coexistence together. That every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will come under proper rulership of God who fills all. We have the promise that one day sickness, sorrow, and pain will cease. And that we, like Christ, will be resurrected to partake in the splendors of God's kingdom eternally. This is our hope, and it is to be realized in the fullness of time. So I think God's kingdom is here, and now it is something that we work towards. It's something that Christ establishes on earth, and it is something that is still coming. It is something that it is our, our future hope. And this last part, this hope, I think, is the primary takeaway for us today. I think we have a few things to remember. Our concept of Heaven is maybe rooted more in medieval pictures or Hollywood. I think scripture challenges that. It is now and it is not yet. 
And I think that is something that we hope for. Paul says that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. If we are to keep our eyes and our mind on the things above, if we are to focus on heaven, we should be people who are marked by hope. I don't know about y'all, but um, I look around and I just see a lot of the opposite of hope. I see a lot, a lot of pessimism. Check the comment section on Facebook or YouTube, and I think you'll be affirmed that there's a lot of pessimism in the world. And we are to be people who are contrary to that because we identify with Christ, and we are to be people who are filled with hope. And T. Wright uses the little expression, we're to be kind of surprised by hope. It's easy to look at the future and say, it looks pretty bleak to me. But I think we forget that God is still at work. God is still at work. And so there is hope. And that should bring joy to our lives because the best is yet to come. God is still moving and shaping and reviving a generation to be followers after him. And that brings hope to us. That's powerful. That sort of virtue that should mark our lives is that we are to be citizens of heaven who are surprised by the hope that God brings. I want to encourage a couple books uh, for you as we walk forward in this series. Uh, I'll remind you that we did some worship planning. We do it uh, every kind of four months or so. And uh, we heard a lot from folks wanting to know a little bit more about heaven, a little bit more about sort of afterlife. Um, so I'd encourage you to read N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. There's another shorter book. It's by um, a theologian and an astrophysicist. His name is John Polkinghorn. Uh, it's called The God of Hope and the End of the World. It's a great little book. I didn't list it in the bulletin this week, but I'd encourage you to pick it up and check, excuse me, and check it out. Uh, those two books radically changed my expression of what it means to be a Christian. That we are to be people who are marked by hope. That we are not marked by fear. We are not marked by pessimism. But we are to take joy and hope in what God is yet to do among us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.